My name is Jo Wise and this is Wise Women, a podcast released on the full moon where I ask women to share the wisdom they found in their greatest life challenges. And new for this series, I also asked them to name the men that supported them through their darkest moments. This podcast is released every full moon because in ancient times, our female ancestors would synchronize their cycles with the cycles of the moon to make their connection, their creativity, their cleansing even more powerful. And the full moon is a wonderful time for communication and expression. My hope with these podcasts is that the story you're about to hear brings healing to the woman who's sharing it, knowing it's being heard by her sisters, but that parts of the story may resonate with your experiences and bring healing to you as well. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with Nikki Slade, the UK's number one Western style keratin leader who talks with me about how chanting helped to heal her addiction to drink and drugs. I haven't drunk uh, alcohol or taken a drug for 30 years, exactly 30 years ago, actually. And, And that was when chanting came into my life. From the spiritual perspective, it has been the single most important thing in my recovery journey. I mean, it literally has been my life's breath. Nikki also shares very openly and candidly her experiences of the psychosis she went through, which she now understands to be part of a profound spiritual emergence, or as the title of this podcast puts it, a shamanic episode. A shamanic episode. First, though, of course, I had to ask if she would sing for us. Hello, Nikki, and a very warm welcome to this podcast. Hi, Joe. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, I have so many questions to ask you. But before we start, we're going to be talking about chanting. And I wondered if it might be appropriate just to open our whole conversation with an opening chant. Would that be possible at all? That would be definitely possible. Let me just get my drone on here. So I've got a little drone. Okay. So this is a mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, which means I merge with my own true nature. I merge with my own inner self as we relate to that idea. And I'll just sing just a few phrases for you. Joe. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one, Nikki, but whenever I hear chants, I can feel very emotional. And I'm sure there's people listening to that that will have similar feelings. I, I will obviously talk to you much more about this later on in the podcast. But why is the emotion there? Can you explain that? Well, you've seen The Wizard of Oz, I imagine. I have many Thank times. You. And me too. And the famous line is. There's no place like home. And we see Dorothy clicking her red heels 
because she's recognizing that she's going home and that all of the separate horrors and challenges that she's had out in the land of the Wicked Witch of the West or whatever her name is, it starts to become clear that she's not that. She's not identifying with that anymore. She's coming home. And I think when we chant, we feel the vibration of home. And we we think of home as a physical place on the outside, which it is in our human experience. And the, and the home we're looking for eternally through our time here on Earth, so to speak, is our home on the inside and our home on the inside is deeply free ecstatic blissful even and when we start to tap into that through the power of chanting emotions come that's such a brilliant explanation and even that made me emotional as well when you said there's no place like home I was like yes that's the answer I've been wanting to hear I remember the very first curtain actually I went to and I had no idea what was going to happen and we all sat around talking we were in satsang and a teacher was talking to us and addressing us and all of a sudden she started playing her harmonium and asked us to join her and then the whole group of people around me I didn't sing because I didn't know what was going on but everybody around me started singing and I was just overcome with this emotion because it felt like everybody that had ever loved me and that I'd ever loved was in that room with me yes well that's that's absolutely true when we come together and chant with a group we actually experience oneness Mm. and oneness is what we're all trying to get back to and The irony is, I mean, many of the great spiritual masters say the true home inside is already attained. We're not trying to get somewhere. We're actually in a practice like Kirtan, remembering where we already dwell. And when you've got a whole room full of people all together, remembering where they've innately dwelt infinitely forever, we all realize we all come from the same one. Yeah. And then we all love one another. There, There is no more separation. And we glimpse that, not just at the level of thought, but at the level of a, a beautiful opening of the heart where it just is. And then we cry for joy. That's completely it. Your explanations are so clear, Nikki. Thank you for that. Now, we're going to talk much more about chanting later, but the whole idea of wise women is that women share the wisdom they found from their greatest life challenges. And the challenge uh, we're going to talk to you about today is addiction, but also an episode of psychosis, which actually saw you admitted into a psychiatric hospital. Although we're going to have a much broader and much more spiritual description for what happened by the end of our conversation, I know. But first of all, can we let's start with the addiction. When did you first realize that you had a problem with drink and drugs, wasn't it? Yes. So so kind of briefly in my early childhood, teenage, my years as a young woman, I didn't really know who I was or where I was going. I was kind of really asking that question, who am I and where am I going? And feeling quite lost on the inside. And I had, you know, a lovely home, loving parents and all of that. It wasn't, you know, that something terrible was happening outside. It was just inside there was this separation and, um, I was looking for something, you know, as I think many people, millions of people can relate to this. And by the time I was 14, I started exploring alcohol in social contexts with peers and all of that. And the difference was that when other teenagers kind of knew when to stop, I didn't and I couldn't stop. And um, I had, uh, you know, an, an allergic reaction to it, but that didn't stop me doing it. And I found that it gave me that kind of buzz that filled, if you like, that kind of hole in the soul and everything, the sort of green lights were on for a bit. I felt confident. I could tap into a sense of humor. 
the world was my oyster for a bit. And then as I got a little bit older, in my late teens, I was at uh, drama school during that time and I got exposed to sort of street drugs on top of that and the sort of the cocktail of the two. And, and, I, and I found that socially... I couldn't really do social without that kind of lift inside me. But what I've come to realize is that the question I was asking was the deepest question that is in most human souls. Like, what is the meaning of this life? Who am I really? And where am I going, really? That's the right question. It's just that I was answering it or trying to answer it through chemicals. How serious, Nikki, would you say your addiction was at its worst? Because I think I'm right in saying you were, you were an actress, weren't you? And you were yeah. taking drinks and drugs to get to get you through performances. Yes, I didn't become like a junkie or anything like that. I didn't go as far down the scale as as the disease of addiction can take you. But I was definitely alcohol dependent. I couldn't do anything scary, really. Uh, without a little sip of something inside me, like a scary audition or an interview, or, you know, there would be a an apprehension about dealing with those kind of situations. But really, the thing about addiction is that it is in the mind, you know, it's actually a, a thinking disorder where you think along negative and fearful lines. And that's why the addict drinks or uses, because there is this overriding experience of uh, negative thoughts, fearful thoughts, and not being able to stay in the day, really, and projecting a lot with anxiety about what's going to happen up ahead. And so I was definitely seeking. And then when I was in my late 20s, I was in a Western musical and... Um, you know, I was very lucky to be understudying a well-known performer who actually practiced meditation and had experience of the practice of chanting or kirtan, as it's known, which means to to sing the name, sing the name of the 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 higher self as you understand it, the the name of the beloved within, the light within. And I was really curious. I was fascinated that that um, there was this practice available. So I went to seek out where I could explore the the power of chanting. And I um, bought myself a little cassette and I ended up chanting along with it when I was between acting jobs. This is sort of way out of drama school now. And um, cut a long story short... I had a spiritual experience, which you might want to ask specific questions about. I really do. And I just want to pick up as well on the well-known performer that you mentioned there, because you write about her in your book. Are we able to mention her or do people have to read your book to find out who it is? Well, it's kind of nice, isn't it, if they read the book? Yeah. (laughs) But I was surprised to find out it was her. Yeah, yeah, I think let them, let them read the book. Okay, you know. read Nikki's book to find out who that performer is. I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised, actually. Yeah. Okay, now I do want to go on to the spiritual emergence that you experienced yeah. shortly. But I also, I think it's so important to define terms, Nikki. And so many people, so many clients that I see are struggling with, I'm going to call them addictions, but they don't like the term addict and they don't want to class themselves as an addict or they say, I'm not an addict because I'm not as bad as X, Y, Z. So how, yeah. how do you define an addict and what an addict is? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I can't speak for anybody else who has been through um, any journey with addiction because, of course, every journey is deeply personal um you know what i what what i would say is that addiction is seeking inner fulfillment outside oneself mm. so in other words whatever we think we're looking for on the outside has always been there on the inside it's just that we haven't known how to tap into it and 
Do you know what? I actually celebrate the fact that I had that start in life because paradoxically it's brought me to where I am now. You know, I haven't drunk uh, alcohol or taken a drug for 30 years, exactly 30 years ago, actually. And, and that was when chanting came into my life. It's, it's not a substitute for other ways of recovering, but it has been, from the spiritual perspective, it has been the single most important thing in my recovery journey. Mm. I mean, it literally has been my life's breath. And it has been, for me, what Tigger's like best. You know, I was like frantically searching for what on earth this thing was that I was looking for. And then I realized uh, that through the practice of, of chanting, I was finally getting connected on the inside and that awful hole in the soul that is sort of seeking and yearning, you know, began to be filled. Yeah, that, oh, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Okay, so let's pick your story back up then. When you were admitted to this psychiatric hospital, do you think that happened because you were, let's say, mixing the alcohol and the drugs with this hugely powerful spiritual chanting um, that was awakening this part of yourself? Was it the kind of combination of the two that kind of set off that, I'm going to call it actually, quote unquote, this is you, the divine madness? (laughs) well, it's a very natural conclusion that any kind of um, anybody might make from the outside. However, the fact of the matter is um, the period at which I was admitted into that particular hospital, I hadn't actually used a drink or a drug for two months. I was very much realizing that I had a problem with substances. And so, you know, I had a very hideous rock bottom at the the end of 1988. It was New Year's Eve. I, I write about it quite candidly in the book. So I knew I needed to stop. And I thought, you know what, I am just going to chant. And I'm going to, you know, remember that this I'm going to trust that this practice will take me home on the inside. And so um, I began to chant on a daily basis. And I started to have experiences of profound joy, profound peace, and great lucidity, really. I, I was able to see the perfect order of everything as it was happening. And I felt profoundly connected to, you know, like you were saying when you were in the chant that day and you felt connected to everyone. Well, I was experiencing that quite blissfully for three solid weeks before I was admitted into that hospital. Like I was at one with... I was walking through Battersea Park one day and everybody I looked at, it was like they were my left arm or my right arm or they were <laughs> they were they were part of my heart. I could literally have gone up and hugged any one of them. And of course that would have occurred very weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um I was having, yeah, very, very strong understandings about the universe. But at the same time you know, I was able to kind of stay grounded and stay in my daily life. And I didn't realize that I was actually having a very profound spiritual awakening. Well, yeah, because that's my question, Nikki, because all of that doesn't sound particularly threatening, but you ended up in a padded cell in a straitjacket, didn't you? So what was what were the people around you concerned about if you were just in this joyful, peaceful state? I know. Well, through it was really through the fear of the specialists around me that the padded cell bit happened. I mean, you know, this is this is very strong stuff for sure um, to to share, and I and I share it, you know, in my book um, for people to whom it might bring hope to and 
clarity to that these spiritual emergencies, as they're called, and it's interesting, isn't it, the word emergence mm. and emergency, uh, because it has the kind of spiritual connotation, but also the medical connotations. Um, so, okay, so to answer your question um, specifically, the movement of the energy of the vibration that was awakening within me was kundalini and uh, kundalini energy is dormant spiritual energy at the base of the spine and if you like it is the place of wisdom within each human being that is there as a birthright and in many different traditions it's called many different things you know for example holy spirit in um, the christian tradition so it is our true nature where we as it awakens, we begin to recognize our relationship with all that is again. So having experienced ourselves as contracted, as I am this body, I am my mind, I am my thoughts, I am my feelings, we suddenly have the experience again of I am one with everything, the rocks, the mountains, the trees, the oceans, the rivers, every every other human soul i never was separated so in this period joe i was having euphoric blissful experiences and also prophetic experiences and so as i was moving through this the the occurring world of my family and friends was is nikki losing the plot because you know i would come out with things like well I say this in the book. I mean, there's a whole passage in the book where I talk about going to present. I, I was like the MC for a, a, a talk about BBC, <laughs> a BBC fashion show um, that was on in its early rounds. It was the 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 clothes show. You remember the clothes yeah, show? Yeah, I do. And even before you said it, I was thinking, I wonder if that's the clothes show. Yeah, it was the clothes show in 1989, and I, it was in Cardiff in a big center there and I was to be hosting the um the whole event and on the way up there I was having such extreme movements of kundalini energy what is known as shakti which is the spiritual energy that I was moving if you like and it's you know I'm aiming to keep this as grounded as possible um, I was moving between different levels of awareness both spiritual dimensions and earthly dimensions at the same time mm. and so to be able to to ground and host a fashion show as well as you know being having these downloads and so we were in the tech run and suddenly i had this massive download can you imagine about uh, it was a prophecy that came through of mother earth is weeping we must act now and I was seeing the kind of events in prophecy that we've been having the past few years with all of these tsunamis and earthquakes and Vesuviuses and, you know, all, all of those things actually came to pass. Um, but to suddenly say that on a microphone in front of everybody that was in that tech rehearsal, I mean, yeah, outwardly I, I appeared absolutely cuckoo <laughs> well the writing of your spiritual emergence was quite hard to follow in the book because the visions you were having were and the downloads as you described them were all over the place literally and it's written in that way as it should be um because yeah. even as a reader there's kind of a sense of madness yeah. divine madness in the writing yeah, and yeah. i i can't help feeling for people nikki who have gone through similar but not yeah. able to make sense of it like you have and i imagine that's kind of a big reason behind writing this book and putting your story out there yeah, yeah i mean i took a, a massive risk doing it and very much kind of almost 30 years later not quite uh because i needed to evolve in my own new life because after that awakening you know, I was only in that hospital for a month and I came out completely grounded like I'd had a great washing inside of everything that needed to be purified uh, to be able to move on in my life. And, you know, as I say, the, the drink and the drugs left me. 
my career started taking off, you know, my relationships got better, everything got better. And that was the difference, you see, between what doctors would, they didn't know how to diagnose me, to be quite honest, you know, they they said, we're, we're trying to find a label for this. The closest we have is psychotic episode. But the thing is, she's so lucid, and she remembers everything, and is very grounded with it, you know, and we were talking at the front end of this call, you and I, about my dear friend, Dr. Larry Culliford, who has has heard about my experience and is very, very supportive of it because he understands the spiritual side as well. And it was so wonderful for me to, to make a friend um, who is a psychiatrist who did not think I was going mad. Mm. He he knew I was having what in India can be described sometimes if you go through something like this as a beneficial fever, like the sadhus and the wise old men, you know, they, they don't write you off as mad. They, as I say in the book, they, they, they dab your brow, they massage your feet, they bring you back to a grounded awareness through, through kindness, support. But we don't have those kind of structures here. So I have no regrets that I was put into a hospital. In fact, it was probably the best thing. In a way, it was a monastery for me. Um, but one thing I think I want to say very, very clearly, Joe, that if you chant, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen to you. Yeah, this was going to be one of my questions is, you know, are we all headed this way? No, no. For some people, you know, Shaktipat, descent of grace, which is basically what it is. It's a spiritual awakening. For some, but for, for very few, actually, there's such an intense experience as I had. But for some, it's very, very gentle. It's just openings of the heart. It's just tingling sensations in the palms of the hand. It's just beautiful revelations. It's not at all likely that if you chant, that's going to happen to you. You know, and... For the very, very small percentage that that does happen to, and it's not just through chanting, by the way, people can access awakening through meditation, through nature. I mean, through another you know, teacher as well. I'm right in thinking, I know that guru, some gurus can touch your forehead and awaken Kundalini. There you go, absolutely. And so, so do, do, I, don't, I don't want to leave the impression in this interview that it's because of chanting this happens. It's like when the soul, okay, is ready to awaken. It will awaken through the medium of chanting, through the medium of meeting a great teacher, through the medium of nature, through the medium of meditation, like that, really. Yes, but you, like you say, you're sharing your path for people who um, may be going through it, or it might even help people, Nikki, uh, in a future tense as well. But I know you mentioned Dr. Larry Culliford as well. Is it worth acknowledging to Dr. Andrew Powell? Because both of those men have, um, they're really championing this spiritual emergence, aren't they? They are. And, you know, I, I, I wrote in another book called Spirituality and Mental Health and Larry Culliford, I wrote a chapter in it and Larry Culliford wrote a commentary on my chapter you know, linking both the medical perspective and the spiritual perspective. And they're great gentlemen, these two. And and uh, I was invited. Dr. Andrew Powell has been studying the spiritual aspect of mental illness for years. And he's a fascinating person to talk to. I mean, you know, he's even said that um, schizophrenia, for example, in some cases, not all, and I've got to be very, very careful what I quote here, and um, so uh, is um, can be advanced states of mediumship. You know, there are like shamans that can speak to the spirit world, and you know, and this is something that is not completely understood. It's not generic. There are some people that genuinely, of course, need medication and all of that. But I think it's very healthy that somewhere like the Royal College of Psychiatry has what was called the Special Interest Group. Yes. used to bring very innovative teachers to enlighten some of the medics about other ways of looking at mental health. And then I was invited, ironically, um, to um, speak at a Royal College of Psychiatry convention to like a board of psychiatrists, which they invited me to come along to, to share my experience. And guess where that happened? 
Well, it happened in exactly the same venue as my meltdown had happened in Cardiff. Not the clothes show. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, that's one of the beautiful <laughs> circumferences. Of it. So wow. that's why I know that something was looking out for me, that I wasn't going mad. I was going through a shamanic episode, let's say. Isn't that yes. funny? Rather than a manic episode, a yeah. shamanic a shamanic episode. Wow. That's that's the important thing to get. I've suddenly realized that that's the best way of explaining it. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. I think as well this term of psychosis really stops with the mind, doesn't it? And what yeah. you're talking and that's our western culture again giving labels to an illness of the mind, but we don't have many I use the word labels for breakdowns or breakthroughs of the soul. Yes. No, we don't. I mean, I in the old days when it happened to me, I said, I haven't had a nervous breakdown. I've had a nervous breakthrough. And, you know, I mean, it was so clear to me that I had a breakthrough that I was very passionate, actually, when I first came out of hospital in 1989 to do work with mental health users. And, uh, you know, I just felt so passionate about it when I came up and I thought, oh, my Lord, this is so misunderstood. The other area, Joe, that it's really misunderstood is is in um, different religious paths. And I've also spoken at ecclesiastical conference where, you know, I was asked by priests and vicars and, you know, when you were going through that experience, what would be the best scripture to bring you? What would be the, the best way to, to help you as, as, as spiritual teachers or clergymen? And I said, you know what? scriptures when you're in a state like that is probably the least helpful thing the most helpful thing were the people that actually believed me and just held my hand and said i i believe you i i i i and did not fear what mm. i was saying and actually kind of thanked me for what i was saying such as the guy who was the uh, production manager for that event for the BBC. And he had reverential respect for what, I, what was going through. And he said, switch off the cameras. It's, it's not dignified to be filming Nikki in, in this moment. And, um, and another amazing circumference that came was when literally a year later, I was singing solo at the Royal Albert Hall. Now get this for a coincidence. The same uh, performer, which we don't mention at the moment until people <laughs> was was the headline act. How oh my crazy goodness! That was the headline act for the same gig at the Royal Albert Hall? Amazing! Well, you couldn't make that up, could you? Amazing! And, and the person who was on production was the same guy who had been doing the event for the for the clothes show. And he said, I don't believe it. I said, I don't believe it. What are you doing here? He said, I'm the production manager. And he said, I always knew you were fine. He said, I'm so glad to see you looking so well. Wow. And that's 12 months later. Wow. Straight out of a supposed psych ward, you know. Amazing. Well, this brings us on really nicely, doesn't it, to chanting, because this, this is the wisdom from your challenge. We've talked about your addiction and this episode of spiritual emergence. But the wisdom that you are going to share today is all about chanting, because as you said in the introduction, you know, this is what brings people home. And I've got so many questions to ask you about chanting, Nikki, but I suppose the first one really is, why is it so transformative? How does it work? Because I've noticed, you know, in the build-up to this interview, I've been uh, chanting along to your CDs uh, probably for the last month, probably. And so much <laughs> has changed for me. So much has changed. Like, big things that would usually knock me off centre, and I'm still centred. But wow. how, is it, how is it working? Well, you know, as I said at the front end of the interview, when... When we come home on the inside to that vibrational realm, which, if you like, is the primordial ground, when we start to resonate with our own inner truth, inner divinity, if you like, 
supreme consciousness, when we start to resonate in that place, we are, uh, you might say, aligned. And we are vibrating with the place that Mozart composed from, Shakespeare wrote from. And uh, when we're close to our true nature, uh, creativity starts to flow, ideas start to come because we're connected to the source of ourself. So when you're tapping into, through the mantras, that place, life goes better. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of potted about the practice. Would that be interesting? Yeah, I'd love you to. I'd love you to. Okay, all right. Well, in the 7th century AD, approximately, in India... Obviously, there's always been a very, very rigid caste system in India, but you can imagine what it was like back then. And ordinary people who had pennies, nothing really, uh, were exempt from temples. They weren't permitted to go and worship because of the Brahmanical system. So you had to be a certain caste before you even got in there. So the, the conclusion was, oh my God, you know, we're not welcome to connect with God or the divine, you know. And um, during that time, there were beings that have become known as the poet saints. And the first of which were the Alvars and the Nayanars and they were beings who meditated for many hours and they tapped into supreme states of awakened consciousness. And they began to realize that the divine connection that they were looking, had been looking for in the sky and the wind and the stars and all of this <laughs> was actually inside them, that there was a hidden treasure within them and that they were at one with it. And they began to write exquisite poetry from that place, devotional poetry um, that was full of longing and full of possibility. And they would walk miles through India. It started in Tamil Nadu in the southern region of India. And they would go and share these poems in the marketplace with uh, the peasants. And the peasants suddenly realized oh my God, it's been inside all along. And there was joy. And of course, naturally, what would happen is they'd start singing, they'd probably start banging pots and pans, and you know, they'd take a few words from the poems they'd heard, like Sri Ram, Jai Ram, or whatever, and then they'd come up with a melody like Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Ram, or whatever. And suddenly, you have the people's practice. So really, Kirtan was originally the people's practice in response to the joy of keeping company with these poet saints. And then the, the movement spread to the north, and you've got poet saints you probably know, like Kabir, um, Mirabai, Laleshwari, um, Surdas, all of these great souls who bore their hearts and their connection to the beloved through poetry. So And Abhangas, which were sacred songs. Um, there was... Tukaram Maharaj, who was one of my favorites. He was in the southern area of India, I think in 16th century. So, so yes, so, so that's, that's where it all originated from. And, and here we are in the West, all these centuries later, coming back to ostensibly what was the people's practice where we're, we're not beholden to have to go to a specific religion or tradition or temple and the beautiful thing about the practice is if you do have a, de a, a, a devout faith path that you follow, you can bring that to the practice. There, mm. there literally is no dogma. Can you talk to me as well, Nikki, about the structure of a chant? Because I've noticed, uh, yeah. I don't know if it's just with yours or if it's across the board, that so many start off slowly and then they build and build and build to that point of climax i suppose an ecstasy to then yeah. end really calmly and slowly again what does that what does that do for us and why is it like that well if you think about it you know you've you've got the rhythm that's that's going with the beat of the heart and you've got you know the the drone which is the constant inner self that never changes it's always there you've got the harmonium for harmonies you've got the symbols going which release the stagnation of the mind and 
the mantra, meaning instrument of the mind, the melodies, the rags, the scales that the chants are in that have different moods that open different aspects of um, the, the heart, depending on the melody sung. And, you know, the, the, the mantras build in rhythm because, you know, we're not all, all in one state when we come into a chant. We might have had uh, troubles going on in our lives. And so to sit for, for a whole hour or two in complete stillness is not easy for everyone. And, and that's why it's so particularly brilliant for addiction recovery. I mean, I, I do a, a huge amount of work in, in addiction treatment centers working with chanting and the power of sound because it gives an addictive mind a focus. So, you know, so often addicts say, well, I just can't sit with myself, but they love chanting. They say, God, this is amazing. This feels like I'm coming up on a pill, you know, because because finally the mind has somewhere to go. And obviously the spirits lift. So if you like, you're going through like a washing cycle of of allowing the rinsing to happen by building the rhythm, building it, building it. And then the release happens. And then. At the end, everyone can meditate quite peacefully without needing all of that, if you like. Yeah, and like you say, if you're in a group and you're all kind of out of sync and in different places, that structure is going to get everybody in harmony. You're all going to be breathing together. Your heartbeats are going to be beating together. You're in union, aren't you? You're, you're, you're absolutely in union. And, and then everyone's so happy because we're we're meeting each other in the inner vibrational space of home sweet home just like Dorothy and and then everyone is like thank god for that because that's that's where we're all trying to get to through all of these pursuits you know why do we want to be successful because really we want to experience love you know why why do we want to be admired because we want love, you know. Why Why do we go to all these geographical places? It's because we want to experience the highest contentment, the highest joy, the highest love. Well, I can honestly say that some of my most profound experiences of that have been in curtains. They're one that I uh, talked about at the start of the interview. And also, um, earlier this year, I was in Bali, and we were singing a uh, mantra to Ganesha. And... Yeah. Nikki, as I swear on my life, I felt as if I connected with Ganesha. And since then, I've bought um, a statue home with me. I bring him flowers every day. You know, I will chant to him too daily. And uh, a bit like you, if you're talking to people that don't get this, you sound... They're like, oh my God, what are you on about? But that experience, Nikki, is my evidence. That's all I need. It happened. I know it happened. No, no, absolutely. And that, again, you see, you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes to say too much about this subject can be counterproductive. Yes. Um, you know, because there's a point where you actually have to chant and just experience your own journey. And that's very much what I aim to do in the book is to set people on their own chanting path. Because once you kind of have those kind of openings of consciousness, you're kind of on the same page. We may not have had exactly the same, but I can totally get what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to people listening to this now who've never chanted, who are thinking, you know, I kind of, I want to give it a go, but I'm not a great singer. And, you know, I don't really know if I can get to grips <laughs> with the words. And, uh, you know, what, what guidance would you give people who are interested, curious, but perhaps a little bit daunted by it? Um, well, the safest way, and that's the way I started, was um, chanting at home with a, well, I was saying CD, it's so old-fashioned now. Um, you know, go, go on to Spotify. I mean, my stuff's on Spotify. You can certainly look for me. Um, but Krishna Das is massively popular, um, a kirtan leader from the USA. And then you've got Deva Pramel, D-E-V-A, Pramel, P-R-E-M-E-L. There are... There are many, many incredible kirtan leaders emerging. And I would also look for kirtan in your area. You know, the, a good place to start is in your local yoga center. Do you have kirtan here yet? Is there anybody doing this? You know, um, 
I actually run annual trainings in Learn to Lead Kirtan, and my my vision really is to is to create a whole orchard of Kirtan leaders so that more and more people get served through this practice. So there's lots of options. Yeah, so check out Nikki's website. I'm going to give you that address at the end of this podcast. Check out Nikki's book too. It's called The Healing Power of Chanting. And just a final word on your book, Nikki. There are lots of challenges that you cover in it. Uh, We've chosen what we chose today to talk about, but there's so much in there. I particularly love how open you are about the messiness of your relationships and the ownership you take for that as well. But you talk about everything from addiction to your parents' criticisms to your sexuality and even how you've questioned your gender. So, I mean, we've touched on this already, but that must have been such a courageous decision for you to take to put all of this out there. Yeah, and and I think all I can say is that um, there were a series of synchronicities that came to guide me to write this book. And when that happens, I know I'm supposed to be doing it. That there's a there's a, a bigger picture than my small self knows, mm. and then I just follow the yellow brick road really, and 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 everything conspires to come together. And I've had the book has had extraordinary feedback. I mean, I get so many people like yourself saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this book has really touched me, or in some cases this book has changed my life. Oh, my goodness, you know, how can I do this? I I really want to develop Kirtan in a bigger way. Um, It it has a life of its own, and I've never done huge amounts to promote it. It's promoting itself. It, It really is finding its way into whoever is meant to read it. Yes, and I suppose the thing I love so much about it too um and i think it's kind of its usp its unique selling point is that you at different chapters encourage people to log onto your website and download the chant so that they can chant along at the end of that chapter and absorb your story even more and um you know integrate their own story into that too and that's just such a lovely idea did you do that at all yourself? Were you able to download anything or, or chant along as you went along? Uh, Nikki, I didn't just do it. I kind of overdid it. Amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's so wonderful that, you know, that people are actually applying the potential, because I wanted it to be like a 3D book, because it's not it's not interesting just to hear about somebody else's story, but it's like it, I only share my story in the hope that it will trigger others to get on the chanting train themselves, you know, and so that's why the downloads are there, so they can chant along as they go, you know. Yeah, that really comes across. It absolutely yeah. comes across. So can you give out your website details now if people want to find out more about chanting in terms of taking part in a kirtan and yeah. also, you know, finding out more about your book too? Sure, absolutely. So um, my website is nikkislade.com. That's N-I-K-K-I, Slade, S-L-A-D-E.com. Um, we can send uh, my book direct to you if you go onto the website or you can get it on Amazon. Good stuff. Okay, now before you go, I've got a couple, well, I've got three quick fire questions for you, which I ask every woman that appears on this podcast. I hope I can ask them to you as well. Yeah. So the first one is, can you name for me your most influential male mentor? And I ask this question because um, obviously the podcast is aimed at women, but I like to, as well as talking about Shakti, I like to talk about Shiva. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, I can actually. I did think about this question and, um, you know, at first I was thinking, oh, it must be some elder from my past and I was going through my past. And then I thought, no, I know who it is. And really, this is my sole brother, and I'm really, really happy to promote him on this podcast. His name is Michael James. He is about the law of attraction, but with a big difference. You know, I call him Archangel Michael. He has the most extraordinary way of soothing any soul in the face of a storm. And he's going to be huge. And I just feel so privileged, dearest Michael, to... Um, have known him to have him as a sole brother he was actually best man at my wedding a couple of years ago and um yeah he he's the one i i would like to honor in answer to your question lovely lovely okay next question is about your favorite quote but it doesn't necessarily have to be a quote it could be words of wisdom that somebody gifted you and you've just never forgotten yeah There's one from my personal life and one from career. 
But the personal life is religion is for those who don't want to go to hell. And spirituality is for those who've already been there. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, that sums it up for me. It yeah, really does. Very appropriate. Goodness. Um, and then uh, I was speaking to um, a meditation teacher once, uh, and I said, I don't. It was in. I was in my early thirties. I didn't know what direction to go in. I had too many things on the order of plate about where, where my destiny could go and she looked at me right in the eyes and she said do the work in front of you and your great work will appear and I've taken that with me I just you know so for example your interview just came into my lap I didn't go looking for you and yet it's been delightful the right timing the right things happen and that's how I've kind of walked it Mm. all the way up tonight well, it's so interesting you say that, Nikki, because that's a message that keeps coming up for every book I pick up at the moment has that message. And now you've just said it to me as well. So there's something, there's another synchronicity at play here. Mm. Amazing. Well, it really, you know, trying to kind of control how things are going to work out and ambition, ambition. It's just revealed inspirations is 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 the way forward for me. I. Yeah, that, that, that's how it works. Okay, and final question. This could be tricky, actually, um, because I've obviously read the book and all through the book you talk about lots of different songs, but I'm going to ask you for one song that uh, sums up the experience we've spoken about today. Do you mean a chant or a song? It could be either or both, actually. I'll probably let you have both. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would say the chant that's given me fearless courage along the way and it is in my book is a chant to the warrior goddess goddesses Kali and Durga Mm. Uh, but really when I chant Kali Durga Namonama salutations to the warrior goddesses what that really is is the vibrational pattern inside my own heart of fearless courage of the part of me that is a goddess that has that capacity to go through the storms. So so that, I would say, has been one of my greatest companions along the way. And song-wise, wow, there is so many, isn't there? Um, it's a funny old thing because I write a lot in my book about Tommy Steele and the show Half a Sixpence, as you recall, from my childhood. And... There's a song in that show called This Is My World. And it's something about what happens to my heart when I hear that song that I think I have a particular affection for it. Um, So, yeah, This Is My World from Half a Sixpence is definitely one of my favorite songs because I think it was giving me a clue to what's possible when you open your heart and sing Amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to encourage people to go and uh, YouTube that and watch it in full and listen to it in full. Because of the um, rules on podcasting, I'm unable to play that song. But I wonder, Nikki, if you would give me permission to play that mantra of yours that um, you talked about there as well, Kale Durga. Would that be possible? Yeah, you can find it on my album Monsoon. um, And uh, it's one of the tracks on there, Kale Durga Namorama. Brilliant. We'll play that in just thank a few you. moments. Nikki, I can't thank you enough for your time. And uh, I just, I know that um, at some point I'm going to find myself in in one of your chanting sessions. Oh, bless you. Well, it's I've really enjoyed it, Joe. It's been a wonderful time with you and I just feel so connected and I've loved every minute of it and I feel really honoured to have been invited. So thank you and thank you to anybody who's who's listened to this and I hope it helps somebody. Nikki Slade talking to me on Wise Women. Next time I'll be speaking to Grammy-nominated singer Deva Pramel, whose millions of fans include the Dalai Lama, Eckhart Tolle and Cher. Deva will also be talking about mantra. And one mantra in particular that she sang to her dad as he left his body 
and that he sang to her while she was in her mother's womb. You know, the Gayatri Mantra is to invoke the light, also reflected in the sunlight. And uh, it's, it's a mantra for enlightenment of all living things, of all beings on the planet. For updates on that podcast and to listen to previous Wise Women episodes, please visit wisewomen.org.uk. Remember that wise is spelt with a Y, W-Y-S-E, wisewomen.org.uk. And please also leave your reviews for Wise Women on Apple Podcasts or on my Facebook page so other women can find this wisdom too. Finally, for this podcast though, let's play that mantra that Nikki mentioned in our conversation, Kale Durga by Nikki Slade, a mantra which has the potential to connect you to the strength of Kali and Durga, two aspects of the same warrior goddess. <laughs>